He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Well, here we are, week two of our Timeless Teachings series. And so last week, we got a good dive into the parable of the soils, and I'll be honest, I picked these parables months ago. You'd kind of go through, hey, what do you want to teach on for that month, you know, and you kind of, okay, I'm going to do this and this. So I picked all four, then I went back week one and reread it, and then week two, I came in and read it and was like... Why in the world did I pick this? This is a really hard parable to teach. And so, so anyway, we're gonna dive in. But here, here's what I'd tell you. We're gonna talk about some stuff that I think at times we can tend to kind of shy away from a little bit in our faith and in our Bibles. It's easy to read over some of these parables and just kind of, oh, ooh, ah, ooh, that's a little tough. Maybe, all right, let's move on. Let's, let's go talk about his love again. Let's, and and I, I wanna dive in today because it, we gotta talk about all of it. I mean, the Bible as a whole, is what we go to for the counsel of our lives. So we've got to look at it within the whole picture. And so we're going to do that today uh, as we look at, again, like last week, the explanation to the parable. And, and so I want to start off with a little bit of, of a visual, kind of an image that, that we'll describe. So I want you to think uh, with me for a second. Uh, somebody comes to a doctor and they sit down. And the doctor is standing there and he kind of knows that this person who's in front of them has cancer. And so he sits down with them and the time comes to talk about their diagnosis. And as he's sitting there, uh, the doctor kind of looks at the person and says, uh, hey, I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about what's wrong with you. And he knows the person has cancer and he looks at him and he goes, uh, you're fine. <laughs> Everything's great. You're good to go. Uh, there is nothing wrong with you. Go back out and live your life. Person comes back six months later. Uh, I'm feeling worse, Doc. It's getting worse and worse, and each month that goes by, I, and now I've kind of got this growth in my abdominal area. And the guy looks at him and goes, you know, you know what, abdominal growths happen. You're about that age. You know, This is where it starts to kind of take place, and you're starting to have that thing. It comes with age, don't worry about it. Six months later, the person comes back and says, I can't hardly get out of bed. I am in constant pain. Are you sure there's nothing wrong with him? One final time, he looks at him and says, no, everything's great, go about your life. And then not but four months later, the person passes away from what was a very curable cancer. Now, you're sitting here right now going, this is the worst story ever. I completely made that up, okay? Right, so that's a made up story before you try to call like the police or something. <laughs> Get this guy disbarred. No, that's not how it works. Um, here's what I would say. We would all call that doctor's acts with that person egregious, heinous. One of the most hateful acts that you could possibly uh, inflict on another person. What I wanna talk about today is when eternity is on the line, 
we would say that the stakes are unimaginably high and that talking to people about the truth of their lives is just critical. And so as we kind of break that open, as Jesus puts some big topics in front of us today, uh, I want to pray for us. So would you just bow your heads with me? Uh, Lord, we come to you today as you spoke some bold truth through this parable. You sat down and you talked about the reality of a Christless existence. We're going to look at your explanation here in just a moment of this parable. But there's some call to us in this, in this sobering truth that we're about to go through and your, your teaching and so I just ask that you would open all of our hearts. I know that these are the type of messages that can conjure a lot of shame in us, and we just pray even now against any shame that would come against any of us as we hear a teaching that is designed to spur us forward into an activity that you loved. And so as we come to that today, I just pray that you would speak through me. Uh, without you, Lord, nothing will happen. And we pray this in your name, amen. So we all just heard the parable. And I want to explain a little bit of kind of, here's the components of it. So first and foremost, uh, Jesus, again, reminder, he's speaking into a first century predominantly agricultural economy and culture. So as we talked, he's taking some of these things that they understand and leading them towards other things. When he's sitting down in this specific parable, the setting for the parable would have been a wealthy farm. This is a person who has land, doesn't just have land, but has land to grow crops and has servants who will be harvesting that. As we see, these are some of the components of the parable. So this person's incredibly wealthy. And in the midst of this setting, what we are seeing today, this act of sowing weed seeds in another person's farm was nothing short of full-blown urban terrorism, okay? Now you gotta understand, like the, the forces of economics were just as much in play in the first century as they are now. So Rome, this is actually recorded, historians have noted that Rome had a law against this actual activity. So Jesus isn't sitting there saying, guys, can you even imagine how bad this would be? He's speaking into something that was happening so frequently that Rome said, it is unlawful to do this. Why would someone do this? Well, again, the forces of economics are the same back then as they are today. The market will only bear so much wheat. So I wanna make sure that all of my wheat gets sold. So the best way to do that is make sure that there's not everybody else's wheat clogging up the market, and I wanna be able to sell mine. Even better is, if there's a shortage of wheat, mine gets sold at a premium. We all learned this in economics. And so what would happen is you would go, well, you know, Jethro down the street is having a killer, you know, wheat year. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to throw these seeds for a weed that was called darnel. And what it would do is it would grow up along with all the other wheat, just as described in the parable. But darnel had an incredible added benefit that once it grew up with the wheat, it had a fungus with it that would spread and infect the wheat itself, rendering it useless. So now what happens? My wheat gets sold at a premium. Rome has a law and says, that's terrible. So this actually happened. And what Jesus again is doing is using a concept they were familiar with to draw them to kingdom concepts that were a complete mystery to them as he teaches to the crowd. Last week, we talked about examining our own salvation, turning our Bibles inward, looking at our own hearts first. And I had many of you email me this last week and said, I've shined my Bible inward. That illuminating light found some rocks and some thorns. The challenge was for us to continue to go deeper, to move into our salvation. And then I love the way the passage ended because it talked about what's the point 
of continuing to go deeper through sanctification and discipleship, allowing Jesus to continue to change the soil of our life, making it richer and more pure. It was for the purpose of bearing fruit, a hundredfold, 60-fold, or 30-fold. What I wanna walk us through today is a little bit deeper understanding of what fruit looks like in our lives, because I think it's possible for us to do this. I think we bear fruit internally, which is what we talked about last week. That's the process of us and God. What are me and God doing together when I shine that light inward into my own life and allow him to change my soil or my heart? But I think there's an external fruit that we're gonna talk about today, which is serving and loving evangelism, ministry to others. Internal fruit gets born out when we actually come in and say, I'm all yours, Jesus. External fruit gets bared out when we come in and say, all right, Lord, how can you now use me? I'm all yours. So as we talk about this today, what Jesus has basically explained in this parable is, hey guys, I want you to know how the story's gonna end. And like I said, just like last week, we're gonna dive into Jesus' explanation of the story that he just told. So let's start with verse 36, chapter 13. This is what Jesus says. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. So he's secluded away with his disciples now and he's gonna teach them. Here's the behind the scenes look at exactly what I just said. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Last week I said, hey, let's take a quick look at the components of this parable. There were like three. It was like sowers, seed, soil. Super easy. Let's go through it. We got a few more moving parts this week, so let's take a look real quick at here's what's in play. This is not three of them, right? So we've got the sower of good seed, the son of man, who created life. Beginning of John says, uh, he did, Jesus, all was created through him, and without him, nothing was created. So the one who created all of the seed is Jesus. Where did he create it? Within the world that he created. The field is that world. So again, this parable is working within this construct of a creative, creating God. The good seed is the children of the kingdom and the weeds are the children of the evil one. Next, who's, uh, enemy who sows. We don't talk about this a lot, but remember, if there's a kingdom of God, the Bible talks lots about the fact that that kingdom is under attack. And that is the fact that the devil has come to do three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And this process of him sowing seed is that process. He wants to destroy the kingdom. The harvest is the end of the age when Jesus will return. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and the harvester is the angels. See, there's this reality for us that as we press in and we talk about this, we've now got the components, but what Jesus is about to explain is sobering, and I want us to hear it that way. Verse 40 dives in right here. It says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now you can see why I read this and went, oh man, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Here's the deal, church. 
we have this reality that when we read this, we have to kind of answer a couple of questions. So I'm gonna do this real quick. I want you to understand last week what Jesus finished with, with was this idea of hearing and understanding. For those of us who are hearing and understanding that God, God's word is true, let me ask for a raise of hands. Cactus Northridge Chapel online, if you're in your living room, I want you to actually raise your hands for this first question. How many of you in this room believe that the Bible is true and that what it says will come to pass? Raise your hands. Can't see this online, but just about every hand in this room is raised. You can put them down. Under absolutely no circumstances do I want you to raise your hand for the next question I'm about to ask. Okay, church? I'm gonna get real awkward in here. With that being the case, with the fact that the Son of God, who someday will have dominion, he will have a Daniel 7 dominion, the Son of Man will come to the Ancient of Days, and everything will be given to him, and he will have his angels execute judgment, and there will be a wheat and weeds moment, which means that your golf buddies and your girlfriends will potentially be carried off to a Christless existence. If you believe that is true, and you believe the Bible will come to pass, then answer this question quietly to yourself. In the last two months, how many of us have shared the gospel with someone who doesn't know the Lord? About the last six months? 12 months? Ever. You see, if what we believe is coming to pass, what I believe part of what Jesus is doing here when he pulls his disciples aside is to let them know the end of the story will be very difficult. And I've put this in place, but I want you to know what's getting ready to happen. And here's what I said. You heard me pray against it already. Church, we absolutely cannot go to shame. I don't need you to sit here today and go, oh my gosh, I'm the worst. That's not the point. That's not why Jesus is bringing this to us. There's no parent who comes to their kid correctively and wants them to feel bad. What we want them to do is move out of a bad behavior and into a fruitful one. Of course you're gonna feel the weight of this moment. Guys, I had to put this together, I feel it too. But what Christ is calling us to is, hey guys, there's, there's a day coming where this will happen. Fair warning, what I'm calling you to is a compassionate, life-changing evangelism that this would motivate us to move out into the world in a powerful way. We're being called to go, go deeper maybe uncomfortably so, into some of our relationships where we go, I mean, they kinda know I go to church. Okay, great. But I wanna talk today about a concept that I think is so important. I wanna talk about bold, passionate, relational evangelism and what it looks like. I don't wanna sit here and go, do you guys all feel bad? All right, now, go make one text message to a friend who doesn't know the Lord. I've been to that evangelistic conference, it wasn't a lot of fun. I wanna talk about the relationships in all of our lives that we already have and what we can do to go a little deeper at a cost to us and a benefit to them. That's the key. So the first thing I wanna do as we dive into this, I wanna talk about four components today and the first one is this, relationship. You can't have relational evangelism without relationship. So, I wanna talk a little history lesson here. This is something I've, I've observed and many culture watchers and exegetes of our culture here in America are talking about. It's the 50 year shift that we've been in from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. Here's what a Christian culture produces. Christian culture produces guys like me, prodigals. We grew up in church, 
We had a passionate relationship with Jesus. We finally got to the point where we went, I don't know if this really works, and we walked away. That's me. I was really passionate about my relationship with Christ all through junior high. I got to early high school and went, I just, this just doesn't work for me. I walked away. Guys like me walk away. Let's use the uh, prodigal son parable, okay? It's the best one that fits since we're talking about being a prodigal. Prodigals walk away. We take everything we have. Don't worry about it. I got it. And then you find yourself in these moments where you're sitting there, and just like me, mine was a bathroom floor. I looked around at the pig trough that I was eating out of that had become my life and finally went, it's not working. My plan isn't working the way I thought it would. And so guys like me as prodigals, we have a GPS in our lives. It got installed when we had the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden it starts going off. Beep, 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 beep. Go home. Because my best day here is so much worse than the worst day in my father's house. Maybe he'll take me back, right? That's what happens. Christian cultures produce prodigals. Do you know what post-Christian cultures create? Pagans. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm using the word how it was used in the scriptures. Those who are separated from God. They don't know the Lord. You know what the problem with a pagan is? It's this. They've never been home. They don't know where home is. And in fact, they're waiting on us the family, the body, to be able to tell them about home because there's no GPS in their life that starts pinging and sonaring to go back home. They've never met dad. And they're waiting for us to walk out and to do this conversation in a way that they can handle and they can wrap their brains around. You see, relational evangelism has us moving out and talking to people in a post-Christian culture that people have never been to church. I am talking to more and more people on a regular basis. They have absolutely no idea what church is because they've never been to one. They've never been invited to one. And the concept has always been presented by the media or whoever as judgmental. So they're like, why would I go to a judgmental place? This is the weirdest thing in the world. I don't want to do that. They have no idea for what I do as a pastor. That's a completely foreign concept to them. And they sit down and they're like, I don't know, I always thought pastors were super weird. You seem semi-normal. Oh, well, great. It's always nice to meet a fan, you know? Like, <laughs> away we go. But when we sit down and we talk about this, here's what we've got to do. We've got to be willing to live our lives and to be in relationship with people where we do something that cost us and benefit them. Do you know what it is? And to be honest, it just starts with this. Live your life in a transparent way with everyone. I'm not telling you you gotta tell them everything, but we should be transparent with our trials, our suffering, our disappointments, and our heartbreaks. Because we should be doing those things differently than the world is because we don't suffer without hope like those who don't know Christ. We suffer with hope because we know him. And so what we start to do is this. We start to talk to people. We start to go through really difficult things and we start to share with them, this is how I'm doing it. And as we start to talk through that, they start going, oh, this is different. We got a couple here. Uh, the wife is on staff. Early in their marriage, they lost a child. They were good friends with a couple who did not know the Lord. Slowly but surely, they, they were very close with this couple and they just started sharing the heartbreak and the trial. Can you imagine losing a child? Some of you can because you've been through it. But doing that with somebody who's sitting there just watching them go through the biggest heartbreak you can possibly imagine. A couple of years back, that couple started attending church. They started coming, 
And they started just, yeah, we're just checking it out. It seems nice. You know, these songs are pretty cool. You know, you guys seem semi-normal, right? Hey. After some of the preaching, they started to want to talk. They started having some conversations with some of the leaders here at the church. And then at a dinner, the couple who'd lost the child got to pray with them to accept Christ. And that couple who didn't know the Lord said this, we watched you go through the loss of your child. We couldn't believe how you did that. And we knew that we needed what you had and we didn't have it. So what happens is a transparent lifestyle with trials and sufferings starts to draw people in because they see, oh my gosh, you have something I don't and I need it. You gotta be close enough in relationship for them to see the ugly. And you're gonna have to be willing to suffer out loud with the Lord in relationship uncomfortably. It ain't pretty, but it's effective. And that's one of the things that we've gotta do today. Just ask the question, how many of us have meaningful and at times costly relationships with unsaved people? Because once you say yes to Jesus, once he starts to change your life, there's a response that we start to have to go, what can I do for you? And Jesus doesn't say much other than, continue to let me work in your life and then go give it all away. So that people can see that you have something different than what they have. You can start to see life change. Next thing that we gotta do, we have to be willing to move in these relationships with love and understanding. Now, I did this a little bit last hour. I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna talk about an evangelistic model that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. If you got saved through this evangelistic model, this is the one time I'll tell you, I would love to talk to you. You can send me an email, okay? Uh, I've never had somebody come to me and say, dude, this is how I got saved. I was going to a son's game, and as we were walking across the street, there was a guy on a microphone with a speaker, <laughs> and he was yelling at the chick with the short skirt, and he was yelling at the guy who was drunk, and he was yelling at the guy who was smoking and dipping, and he was saying, you are condemned, and you are damned, and you're going to hell, and you need to know it. Repent and be saved. And I thought to myself in that moment, I gotta have what that guy has. <laughs> I gotta get me some of that. This is a good thing. Now, I always leave room. I always leave room for whatever's gonna happen. If you email me this week and you're like, bro, that's exactly how I got saved, in Jesus' name, right? Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. But I wanna put something on your radar, okay? It's this, it's Romans 2. Romans 2, verse four says, and there's a whole bunch that leads into this, but this is the culmination of an entire passage in Romans. And it says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Here's what I wanna to submit to you today in the midst of a post-Christian culture, because here's the deal. Christian culture to post-Christian culture, it doesn't change the truth, it just changes the style. You evangelize prodigals differently than you evangelize pagans. So what I'm submitting to you today is the fact that stylistically we're moving in a very different culture than what we used to. So as we're sitting here talking about God's love and his kindness, what I want you to understand is that if you have somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible and doesn't believe in Jesus, and you sit down and you go, oh, by the way, do you know that you're going to hell? They go, well, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in the Bible. 
So looks like it works out fine for me. When you're sitting back, you're like, no, the Bible is, they don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. So you're sitting down and you're talking about consequential realities that they're like, I don't believe it. For us sitting here understanding the word of God, you understand and don't like, this is where I really wanna, I wanna frame this correctly. Guys, I'm not, I'm preaching a whole message on hell right now. I'm not saying we don't talk about the truth. I'm saying that what we press into, maybe it's not our first foot forward to sit down and tell someone who doesn't know Jesus and, and has no belief in the Bible, here's where you're going. And I'm gonna frame this even a little more so in our next point. But it's to sit down and to say that based on what Romans is telling us, it's the kindness of God, it's the forbearance of God, it's the patience of God that draws us and leads us to repentance. It's effectively sitting down and looking at somebody in relationship. The, the way I think about it is with the kindness and the forbearance and the patience of God as a foundation, in relationship, we can now set some really heavy truth on that foundation. You can talk about all sorts of realities when you sit down and you've showed people the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience. You've loved them with nothing in expectation in return. The, the forbearance of God has been shown because you've stood with them through their tough moments and you've been patient with them because their life ain't cleaned up. And by the way, neither is yours. Neither is mine. You see, that foundation of the love of God and the understanding with people, everything that we're trying to do as Christians is this. We are trying to be in close relationship, in proximity with people who don't know the Lord to earn the right to be a part of their toughest moments. Because when those tough moments call and they come into their lives, if those people aren't turning to us, there's probably a reason for that. You see, I wanna be in relationship with unsaved people and do so in a way where when things get really hard, they know they have a non-judgmental, highly loving individual sitting there waiting to receive them and talk through, what does it look like to crawl out of this mess? And it's in those moments, just like I talked about with the last example, where they've watched us walk through our lives with Christ in an obedient, God-honoring way, where they come in and they say, I don't have what you have. What do you have and how do I get it? And you have a Grand Canyon wide door to walk the gospel through. Because now you can sit back and say, oh, what's changing my life is the kindness, the forbearance, and God's unbelievable patience with me while I continue to be a knucklehead trying to put my life together one day at a time, but his grace is sufficient for today. Does a loving relationship with God sound like something you would like to do? Would you like to pray, turn your life over to the Lord and start walking towards his plan rather than yours, which you're telling me isn't working so well because that's what I did. Absolutely. Do we not talk about, well, what would happen to me if I don't? Well, the Bible describes this reality of a Christless existence. You can't look at Jesus and say, I don't want a relationship with you and then expect to spend eternity with him. That's what the Bible says. Just like if me and you were at odds, you wouldn't expect to come over and hang out at my house. That's the reality of the scriptures. You choose Jesus, you don't just get him now, you get him for eternity. And that offer is available to everyone. It's the most inclusive invitation in the world. The next thing that I wanna kinda ask us is this. We have relationships. Are we loving and understanding in those? Are we a safe place? It's a double down. 
on what we were just talking about. When we're living life in close proximity, the things that I want to ask are, what are our lives showing? This is where we go back to a little bit of what's the internal fruit that's being produced, like we talked about what's internal from last week. What's externally showing? Are our lives producing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the faithfulness, goodness? Or is it producing the fruit of the Pharisees? The fruit of the Pharisees was religion and judgment. It was the walking through the streets exactly like the, me the megaphone. That's not actually a new move. <laughs> that had been done in the first century. The condemning the prayers of the wicked. Pharisees had pulled that move off before. They stood on the street corners of the Suns games outside the Colosseum and had judged the people walking in. Is it the fruit of the Pharisees that we're producing? Or is it the fruits of the Spirit? Do people see in our lives a reeking of the Spirit of God? find a place where they can settle in and go, my plan's not working. I can tell you who I went to when my life fell apart. He's sitting in the second row right now. And he called me while I was a mess. He called me while I was running around destroying my life. And I knew when time came that his love, which looked just like Jesus, he could receive a phone call from a wayward kid who he had pastored when he was a junior hire. And guess what? He got the call. There was an availability. There was a safety. I moved back into a relationship. I heard tough truth. I made tough changes. And the Lord started to slowly but surely not give me relief, but give me restoration. That is critical. And that's what we have to be willing to do is to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. I'll give you an example of this most recently. I had to go and I had to buy a new iPhone, okay? And when I say had, I mean I was due for an upgrade. Okay, so let's just, <laughs> just tell the truth. We're going to tell the truth. So I'm sitting there. I walk into the Apple store. The Apple store stresses me out. It was the one, they're all built like aquariums now. And so I'm just, <laughs> I'm stressed. I'm usually, I get one of these like 137 pound, six foot bearded guys who just, I feel like he's trying to trick me. I'm like, you know, I'm, what, what's going to happen next? Is it $4 million to buy an iPhone now? What do these things cost? So I'm sort of stressed out, and I just, the perfect person to completely disarm all of my defense mechanisms walked up and said, can I help you? It was a four foot eight Indian woman. She was 65 years old, and she walked up and she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, you can. <laughs> <clears throat> so we sat down, and we started to talk, all right? So we're sitting there, and we're talking, and she, all right, well, you know, what are you trading in, and this and this, and here, here you go, and we're doing the whole thing. So we kind of come to the, the credit app check thing where they're like, all right, you're gonna pay for your iPhone, you know, for this amount of money for the next 365 years, and I'm great, sounds good. <laughs> and so we're doing this, and she goes, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor, right? Like, I can already feel it coming. Um, some of you get to say other things. When you say you're a pastor, people immediately import all the things that they're sure they know about you. So I'm, I don't get very far off of that one. And the next thing that she asks, oh, where you do that, Scottsdale Bible Church. So the questions kind of start moving away from the like credit app questions. And I can tell she's kind of trying to feel me out. So she's, you know, oh, okay, well, tell me a little bit. How'd you get into that? And da, 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 da. And so she keeps doing it. And I'm just kind of waiting for what happens next. And she finally turns to me and she just goes like, can I ask you some questions about what you believe? And I was, and I said, sure. And then, <laughs> and this was so sweet. She said, I don't know why, but I just feel like you're a safe place to ask questions.
Now, I'll tell you right now, we spend a lot of time up here preaching, just letting you guys know we make all kinds of mistakes. This one I felt like went pretty well for me, so I would encourage. This was something I got right, all right? <laughs> I work really hard to try and be a safe place for people, whether it's just out in the culture uh, or uh, at the gym or places where I spend time so that people feel the freedom to come up and ask questions. Uh, and so as we sat there and we talked, she said, can I ask questions? I said, yes, we had that moment. And then I said, um, what, what, do you, what would you like to ask? And then she said this, I have a lot of family members who are Christians and every time we talk, we always talk and they tell me that I'm going to hell and that I'm, I'm, I'm headed for a Christless existence or I don't get to spend time in eternity or go to heaven. And she said, and I always feel so judged by that. And in my head, I'm like, well, at least we're starting with an easy one. You know, like, <laughs> this is a layup. This should be no problem. She had a very universalistic view. So as we sat there and we started to talk, I said, um, I want you to know something. I'm happy to have this conversation with you, but I want you to understand, my beliefs are in no way, shape, or form meant by me for you to feel judged or for you to feel less than, but I hold them because I believe that the Bible is spelling out how I'm gonna live my life. As long as me and you can do this with the understanding that you can hold your beliefs and I can hold mine, and we can still have a loving relationship here as two human beings, I'll happily have this conversation with you. And she said, yes, thank you, we can do that. I said, great. I said, here's what most people don't understand about Christianity and why Christians carry the message they do. And I told her a story about, uh, and some of you have seen this. Have any of you seen the interview with Penn from Penn and Teller where somebody came up after a show and tried to evangelize him and he was sitting there talking and that's, so if you haven't, you can Google it. Um, Penn says, after a, a story, and I was telling this woman this story, I said, let me tell you a story about Penn and Teller. Do you know them? And she goes, oh yeah, the magician. I said, that's him, great. And so I said, after a show, a man came up and was going to, uh, to share the gospel with Penn. And Penn said, yes, of course you can do that. And he said, okay, great. So the guy shares the gospel with him. It takes 10 minutes and he got done. And he said, you know, would you like to pray with me? And Penn said, you know, um, I, I don't wanna pray with you today, but I just want you to know how much I appreciate you sharing this with me. It really, it means a lot to me. And he said, and people pushed back, like, well, why would you let him do that? You don't believe that, you're an atheist. Like, what's the deal? And Penn said, here's what's true about every Christian who tries to share the gospel. He said, if what you believe as a Christian actually is true and actually comes to pass, how much would you have to hate me as a human being to not share that story with me? And I said, here's what you need to know. This is me talking to the, the little apple gal again. I said, now, here's what you need to understand about most Christians. Christians are not sharing the gospel. I can't speak for all of them, but a, a vast majority of Christians are not sharing the gospel because they're judgmental. They want you to know that they're right. It's important that you know that they're right. And they just want you to make the right choice so they can get some sort of a reward in heaven. That's not why people share the gospel. People share the gospel, and I'll tell you even right now what I'm sharing with you in the short relationship that we've had. It would break my heart, even as sweet as you are, for me to imagine you spending eternity away from Jesus Christ who you were designed to experience relationship with. So Christians are sharing that story, not out of judgment of you or your beliefs, but out of love because it would break their heart for them to spend eternity away from you or you spend it away from Christ in an existence that is described as unpleasant with punishment. Does that make more sense? And she said, no one has ever explained the gospel that way. It has always felt judgmental. It has never felt loving. And that is very helpful. Now, I'd love to tell you, like, she immediately was like, we got to pray right here and now. <laughs> That's not how that story went. But she went on to ask, like, 
doesn't Jesus just, isn't he a good teacher? So it's like, I got all these little evangelistic tools in my pocket. So the next card that I played was, no, uh, he actually doesn't leave that door open. People want him to be just a good teacher or a good guy, but he's one of three things. How many of you know I'm going to the C.S. Lewis deal, right? Say them with me. He's one of three things. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. That's exactly right. The reality is, he either created this whole thing and it's false, and he's created a lie so elaborate that we're still following it 2,000 years later. He's a complete lunatic because he claimed unequivocally to be God, or he's exactly who he said he was and exactly what he said is gonna happen. It's either all true or none of it is. And Jesus doesn't leave the option open to just be a good guy, a good teacher, or a prophet. Much like even the Quran would point at Jesus as a good teacher. I'm telling you, he didn't leave that option open. What she responded with was so sweet. She goes, you know, I've never studied the Bible enough to actually know that. And I said, I'd tell you, hey, that's a great place to start. Read the book of Matthew. Just look at the words that Jesus says, and I think you'll find an incredible love story designed to draw people into a loving relationship and to spare them from an eternal separation and punishment, which his desire is that none should perish. So that would be my invitation. We got done and we were standing there, we'd had kind of a sweet conversation, so I said, can I give you a hug? Which just as a disclaimer, I don't walk around the city hugging strange women, okay? But we'd had a moment, so I kind of felt like we were doing a thing, and she looked at me and she goes, I'm absolutely a hugger, but Apple won't let me hug people. <laughs> Apple would do that to us, wouldn't they? <laughs> Guys, here's the last thing I wanna share with you today before we close out our time. This'll get messy. This will absolutely get messy. Take a look at John uh, chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Guys, when you tell the truth, it, it just happens. I always say anything you preach against pushes back. Last week I talked about judgment. I got some judgmental emails. This is the way it is. Whatever you preach against, it, if, if people's hearts aren't ready to change, they're gonna defend the territory they're on. Let's push back this week about a very gracious display of the gospel, how to move out in love, not sparing the truth, but letting our first foot forward be what Romans talks about, kindness, forbearance, patience. I guarantee you, I'll get some emails this week. People will fire up and be like, you're preaching a watered down gospel. No, we're not. That's absolutely not what we're doing. The reality is that this will be messy. It will be hard to sit with people and love them and care for them and be patient. It, uh, guys, I work with addicts all the time. There are so many times where I've sat with people, I've watched them hit what I think is a bottom, and I'm like, whew, all right. And they fire up and they're like, nope, nope, oh, you're not done yet. Okay, all right, well, let's see how this goes. That'll do it. And they keep hitting bottom, keep hitting bottom. And you keep going, well, this has to be it. I mean, this, you, this has to be it. People are funny, we got high pain tolerances sometimes. And as you sit there, you just kind of go, oh, this has got to be it. And you know what's always been true? His timing is perfect. And it's not because he's holding him back. It's that, listen, you got a choice in this thing. You can keep walking it out painfully, working your plan, working your plan. Eat out of the pig trough as long as you want. Here's the reality. You're going to have to sit with a lot of people while they hit bottom after bottom after bottom. And you go, are you not getting this? And we're going to have to sit back and patiently love them right where they're at. Because guess what? Jesus Christ is still doing the same thing with us. Every single week, every single year, God is continuing to reshape us to look more like him. And that requires his forbearance, his patience, his kindness. And we're gonna have to reflect the same thing to people who are not quite figuring this out. 
At the same time, we've gotta be willing to kind of love them in the midst of those moments and to wait on the Lord. And that's hard to do. At the end of the day, if we believe that the Bible is true, if we believe that what it says will come to pass, then we have to believe and continue to strive towards working and living a fruitful life, both internally and externally, that we should be pressing into Christ in discipleship, de-rocking and dethorning our lives because the illuminating power of the scriptures is changing the way we see our own hearts, which then sends us out into the world, not with judgmental messages of change, but with recently broken hearts because we've done the work in our own lives and we work out and go, oh, I wanna be gentle and loving because this is painful stuff. It's not done in an instant. And that's when we move out into the world, pressing in, showing the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience of Christ to a world around us that's in desperate need of it because they've never been home and they don't know who dad is. With that message in place, my hope for each and every one of us is not a shame-based message today, but one of challenge and exhortation that we would walk out into the world and love with reckless abandon while God changes hearts and he uses us to continue to care for people while he does that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do, we just come to you today with the full recognition that you are still working. We talked last week about the fact that you're not done because we're not dead. And Lord, we always have to continue to hold out hope that you can work crazy miracles in the lives of even the people we deem most lost. Lord, would you use us? We wanna be your hands and feet. We wanna love well. For some of us, this is a message that can hit really hard and it makes us think about lost family members and Lord, we just want you to continue to soften hearts but we wanna feel the reality that our love does not condone bad behaviors, it's just the love that you ask us to show. So while people continue to sit back and to flounder through life, Lord, our job is to wait on you, not on them, but to wait on you. And so, Lord, we just wanna continue to turn our control over to you. You love each and every one of our family members and our friends more than we do. You could never, we could never love them as much as you do, and sometimes we have to rest in that perfect, perfect love of yours, even for others. We pray this in your name, amen.